tonight, we, as is now our custom, we are continuing our lectureship series that used to be in the spring, but now we have on, I believe, the first Sunday of the month, with a few couple of exceptions. Um, I, I appreciate the elders asking me to do it this, um, this time. Of course, Alan came to me and asked me to do it, and of course, when an elder comes and asks you, you really can't say no, can you? Um, anyway, I... He gave me the list of topics to pick from, and most of them were, most middle of the year were taken, and there was this one and some towards the end of the year, and I actually liked this topic a little bit better than the other ones, so I just like the date, was like, that's, you know, a little early, but then I thought to myself, just get it over with, don't have it hanging over your head for the entire year. Um, <clears throat> this year, our lectureship series is, uh, the topic is follow the lamb wherever he goes. And this is in reference to uh, Revelations um, chapter 14, verse 4, where it says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Of course, Simon started this back in January with a lesson on following Jesus to the temple. And it was a story, it was a story about uh, Jesus being about his father's business. Tonight, we're going to follow that up with uh, following Jesus to the Jordan. And I'm going to speak on tonight about the baptism of Jesus and also by John and um, kind of how his baptism and the baptism of John differs from our uh, baptism that we follow today. I'm just going to go through all of them. But first, I want to start by just reading the scripture or the passage about the baptism of Jesus. Um, it's located in all four Gospels. Uh, it's in Matthew 3, uh, chapter, I'm sorry, 3, um, verses uh, 13 through 17, and then also in Mark, chapter 1, it's 9 and 11, Luke 3, 21 and 22, and it's mentioned in John, uh, it seems more of a after-telling of it as just John um, saying, you know, this is what happened, he's confirming it. Um, but to start, I'd like to read the account that um, is in Matthew. So we'll be reading Matthew chapter 3 um, in verses 13 through 17. Here it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Of course, as we start, this really kind of is a start of Jesus' ministry and his teaching at this time. From several scriptures, several books, this is about outside of his birth, this is almost like the first event that's even mentioned in Jesus' life. Um, but to set this up, I'd first like to take a little look back, or look back at the baptism of John. Uh, first thing is that the, uh, John was uh, prophesied about in the Old Testament. Um, he's mentioned in at least what I found two verses uh, or two passages in the Old Testament. First one is uh, Malachi uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 where it says, Behold, I send my messenger 
and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of his covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And also, it's mentioned, he is mentioned in Isaiah um, ch uh, chapter 40. Uh, we'll turn there, Isaiah 40, verses um, three, and five, 3 through 5. Here it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And of course, uh, going further about John, his birth was announced... Um, is this the only record that I found of it? His, his birth or, or his early life was mentioned in Luke uh, chapter 1, um, where, of course, he was born to the, a priest, uh, Zacharias, and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, from here, I'd like to read Luke chapter 1, and we'll uh, read verses um, 11 through 17. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to, their Lord, to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As, as reading over this story, I just kind of want to make a note of some similarities I kind of saw in this story and the story of Adam and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah. I'm a little nervous, so. Uh, but just to mention how... Um, you know, in Genesis 18 was that story, of course, that Sarah was without child for uh, many years. And at the point of which the, they came, you know, the, it was brought to, him, to, to Abraham that he was going to have a child. Sarah was beyond the, the uh, she was barren and beyond the years of have a child. And of course, we also remember that story, how Sarah kind of laughed at the thought of having a child. Even in this story, the story with Zacharias, he too kind of questioned the thought of having a child, as you read about later on in the scripture. And of course, because of this questioning, he was, Zacharias was made mute until the, the, term, the time of his, of his birth of, of John. So, and of course, even at that, further on in the story of, of John's birth, once before he was born, there was a big uproar about who he, what the name of the child should be. And of course, Everyone wanted the child to be named after his father, but even while Zacharias was mute, he wrote on a, he wrote on a, word, a piece of paper basically and said, hey, his, his son is, will be named John. And at that time is when the, the, his muteness had, and had left him at that time. So even at that, there's a, the other additional um, Old Testament story that I came to mind as far as the same similar situ uh, situation was, 
was the story of Hannah and, Sam, and the birth of her son Samuel. She struggled to give birth as well, and it was several years, and then finally the Lord you know, blessed her with a child. And it, I just pointed this out to kind of mention the, how God uses people in stories, I guess really to show his greatness, you know, that he can you know, give children, and these children are important people in the course of the history of the Bible, to allow, you know, to prove who he is and his, his greatness. Um, and that's, again, this story of John the Baptist is followed or brought out too in this story too. Moving on, I'd like to go in more into the teaching of John um, as we move on to Luke chapter 3. Um, from here, I'd kind of like to read... Um, I'm going to skip first one. I was going to do one through three, but was, that's a lot of people's names, and I really don't feel like reading those right now. But we'll start in verse two. So, so while Ananias and Sapphira were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. As we read here, the, John went into the wilderness and began preaching. Of course, this fulfills the prophecy that I read earlier in Isaiah 40 about coming out of the wilderness would be someone uh, teaching. Um, and also as we um, read in verse 3 that his, his uh, baptism was, was not the same baptism as we have right now, but more of a, a, a preaching of, of repentance uh, and remission of sins for the people of the time. Um, Going forward in Luke chapter 3, let's, let's go to verses 7 and 8. We'll like to read here. It said, then, um, then he said to the multitude that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I wanted to clear this here, kind of a, mostly of what John focused on was, was preaching and teaching to the Jewish people, trying to get them ready for what was to come uh, forward on as far as the new uh, teaching and preaching from Jesus and the new covenant that was to come. Um, and then again, let's, let's go and read 15, verses 15 through 16 of Luke 3, where it says, Now as the people were... Ex in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And from these passages we see that John sees that he is just the messenger. He's, he's foretelling of what is to come and that somebody greater than him is going to come. And will have an, another baptism greater than his. Um, and as we can kind of see, if, if you look in Acts uh, 19, verse 4, that uh, this is when Paul was talking with Apollos at the time. He said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. From, from this verse, we can kind of see that, again, John's baptism was preparing the people for the, what, is, what is to come, preparing the baptism of Jesus Christ, and that, that he, that Jesus Christ was the one who was greater in this. Um, moving on, 
as far as the baptism itself um, and what it was like for the Jewish people at the time, I wanted to go and look at some Old Testament examples of maybe some, something similar that the Jewish people may have been, um, are examples of, of things that would be similar to what you know, they were experiencing with, with John's teaching, because he, he was teaching something new to the people at the time. Um, through some commentaries that I read um, on this topic, uh, they mentioned that the Jewish, Jewish people had a custom called mikvah, which was a ritualistic cleansing by immersion of water. Um, what I read was mostly that it was for, um, the cleansing would be mostly for people who come, come into contact with, the, with death or a dead body, that you know, they had rituals to cleanse themselves. Um, and also, conventionally it has been, I've read some on the, some examples, or I read from some Jewish websites that this is also was something that was done in the process of converting to Judaism. I, these are things I'd never kind of really thought about or heard about, but the mikvah was something new for me. Um, I did some extensive looking at it on the Wikipedia, or, yeah, Wikipedia description. I was looking for some verses to see if the Old Testament would say anything about this. Now, I did go to some Jewish sites. It, they did mention this as being a conversion event that happens or a ritual that happens at, when you're converted to Judaism. Uh, the only scripture I had was uh, Le Leviticus 11:35 through 36. In that scripture it read, and everything on which a part of any such carcass falls shall be unclean, whether it is an oven or, or cooking stove, it shall be broken down, for they are unclean, and they shall be unclean to you. In verse 36, nevertheless a spring or cistern in which there is plenty of water shall be clean. But whatever touches any such carcass becomes unclean. Um, again, it just kind of mentions that spring water is clean. Um, anyway, I just set this up to kind of want to see what maybe the Jewish people thought of this custom as a, you know, obviously this was something, um, as far as the conversion, I think I read that it was possibly maybe something started during the time of the second tabernacle being built. Um, I didn't do a lot of re, uh, extensive research into that, but that was just what little I came up to. And another example that came to my mind, of course, throughout the Old Testament, there was examples of people being saved through water. I think of the example of the, uh, the Israelites when they were fleeing Egypt and they got to the Red Sea. You know, they were saved as passing through the water. And then, of course, the Egyptians came by and, you know, were, were killed or, you know, at that point, and also that Noah and his family were saved, you know, through water or through the flood waters uh, from the evil people. So th those are other examples. And one, one uh, last example I'd like to do, and it was actually our reading this morning, is the, the story of Naaman, actually is the reading uh, this morning and this evening. Um, just to set up the story, if you were like me and not paying attention to the reading this morning, unfortunately, until the very end. Um, Naaman had leprosy, and he was um, like, well, I believe he's a captain or so, or similar to the captain of, of, the, of the army of Syria, but he had taken a, cap a captive girl from Israel, and of course, I guess as part of her helping the wife of Naaman, that she mentioned that there was someone in Israel that could help heal him of his leprosy. Um, so because of that, Naaman had gone to the, um, the, the king of, of uh, Syria, who 
obviously must have thought something of Naaman at this point to, in, and as, as it was, the king wrote a letter and sent it to the king of Israel to ask if he could help, to get the help for, um, for Naaman. Of course, the king of Israel knew nothing of the prophet Elijah and rent, ripped his clothes because he had no relationship whatsoever with the prophet Elijah. But I'd like to pick up reading this, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, let's read verses 8 through 14 to set up the remainder of the story. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there was a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when, when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the sayings of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of the little, little child, and he was clean. As we see in this story with Naaman, I think in some aspects, Naaman thought of himself as a, a great person, as it was anyway. He was a, a mighty warrior, or, and I think he expected something great from God. Of course, we read in the story here that um, Elijah, Elisha sent message to the king to have send them to him. Of course, once Naaman came to Elisha, Elisha didn't even come out to greet him or say anything to him. He sent a messenger to him, so I, he possibly may have felt somewhat insulted by that gesture, as it was anyway. But fortunately for Naaman, he had his servant spoke to him and, and said, if it were not, why not do this? You know, if it were some great thing, would you do it? Of course, but why not do this? And of course, he also mentions within the story how he kind of put down the, the Jordan River as it was. Um, of course, he thought his, the rivers in his, his country in Damascus were much better and suited for this. Um, and even did read some commentaries that the Jordan River had never been to Israel, so I wouldn't know. But some some ways, the Jordan River may not be as clean as some others, or so to speak. Or so it maybe didn't have the greatest of reputation. And even as that, you know, Christ was was baptized there as well. So um, again, we're looking at this, and this was some examples that the Jewish people may have been aware of as far as when it came as far as examples or types of baptism that occurred. Um, so as we kind of looked at all this, the examples, and I want to touch back, I'm going to, towards the end, I want to touch back on another point with the, about, with the, um, the cleansing of Naaman. But we kind of look at this, is the kind of how we see that certain things, as far as a, if it was a practice that Jewish, that people, the Gentiles used to convert to Judaism, there, you know, the Jews had a, a way of looking at Gentiles, that they were unclean, 
that they basically the Jewish people thought that we're we're God's people, we're better than these Gentiles. So even at that, they may have had a, a negative idea or a negative view of the practice of baptism, just kind of looking at it in that, that aspect or um, as it went forward. Um, moving on, uh, we want to discuss, I want to discuss why was Jesus baptized at this time? As we know, Jesus had committed no sin. He was throughout his entire life. We can read that in verses uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and Verse 21 says, says, For he was made, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the, the righteousness of God in him. And of course, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And of course, Hebrews 7.26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. We can see all these examples. Of course, I had mentioned earlier that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so, therefore, why was Jesus? He, obviously, he didn't do it because he needed repentance for his sins. He had committed none. Even as it was in the scripture that we read in Matthew 3, when Jesus came to be baptized, John said he did not feel he was worthy to be baptized by to, to baptize Jesus. He kind of pushed back at Jesus a little bit, saying, no, you should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus continued on and convinced John that, that it needed to be done. And by, by Christ, or Jesus being baptized, it did confirm the teaching that John was, doing, was making within the, um, of being baptized. By Jesus submitting himself to baptism, it showed that what John was preaching was acceptable to Jesus. Um, also, it followed the will of God. Of course, you know, as it said, he, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, it followed the fulfilled what God had wanted for, for his son. And also it bore witness to those who were in attendance. Imagine the, the scene at that time when he was born, or when he was baptized, how the, the dove came from the, the sky and witnessing that and hearing the voice from heaven. It seems to indicate that, you know, people tended to, to to travel or go along with John and his disciples. So it was probably likely more than one person probably saw that in the event of his baptism. Um, but kind of finishing up with this point, um, kind of got in a little rabbit hole with the, my beloved son in whom I will please. Um, found a passage in Psalms uh, 2 verse 7. Kind of had the same phrase. Um, it read, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Um, there was a footnote in my Bible or commentary, and this kind of um, said this was kind of like a royal decree as it was, um, and it referenced again to, the, um, and hopefully I can explain this decently. It kind of made a reference to 2 Samuel verses, uh, chapter 7, I think it was verse 5 and then also uh, maybe 12 through 17. Um, I think 12 through 17 is what I'm going to read here. It's kind of referred to maybe as the Davidic Code or Davidic Covenant, which was a covenant that God made with David at the point when he agreed to, um, well, David had come to God asking to, to build a, a permanent temple for him as opposed to, because before he was 
um, God was just residing in the tabernacle. So at this point, he wanted to build the temple for him. Of course, God did not want David to do it, but allowed for Solomon to, um, to uh, proceed and build the, uh, the temple. So if we read here in 2 Samuel 12, verse 17, it says, When your days are fulfilled and your rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from my body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, who I removed from you, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all the vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So the gist of it is that he said, he said in verse 14, I will be your father and he shall be my son. So it was saying that this was said in any event or when, whenever uh, a son was... Um, took the place of the kingship from, from the, that they were the son of David. So with this statement, God has set forth that Jesus was his son and that he was the rightful heir, the, the king to the throne that was to, to come. And that, that kind of, a, within that statement, that was why it needed to be shown that, that Jesus was the son of God and that he is the king now, as, as has been prophesied. And now, as we move forward and we just discuss the baptism of John and, and why Jesus was baptized, let's, let's try to look in and see that, um, how the baptism of the day differs from that which, that was at, at, John's, at John's time. And I didn't know exactly where to put this statement in within my talk, but first I want to make it sad that we've, we've kind of gone through several examples, um, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, um, I've mentioned mikvah. Mikvah's definition that I saw was an immersion, immersion in a body of water. Um, it's interesting that John always taught near a large body of water, whether it be the Jordan River or anywhere he met, or it was always mentioned when he was teaching that he was teaching near some body of water. And even when we talk, when I read the scripture in Matthew 3, in verse 16, it said Jesus came up immediately from the water. I think it's quite clear in the Bible that, and even the definition of baptism is that it is an immersion in water. And anything less than that is not baptism and by definition. So as we say, talk about baptism that would eliminate any type any other types of baptism that might be practiced you know some people pra practice sprinkling as we see with just about every example that we see of baptism we, it it's quite clear that it is an immersion in in water and that those are unacceptable and as, as i remember like probably some about 10 8 10 years ago the history channel had a, ser a series on uh, the Bible, and we watched it, and when they got to the New Testament part, and they were talking about baptism, I felt like the, the writer of the stories at least tried to um, include every different type of baptism that we have now, because I remember that when they got to the baptism of Saul or Paul, 
they just had them stand in a, a, a tank of water basically and just throw a big bucket of water on them, which I thought it was really stupid and really crazy. But um, as I said, baptism is an immersion in water. And as going on, we kind of read after Jesus' baptism, he continued um, going along preaching and teaching um, and even preached baptism himself um, and continued baptism at the, at the time or teaching it. Also, after Je Jesus' baptism, uh, John continued uh, teaching baptism along with, with Jesus for a little while, as we can read in John 3, verses uh, 22 through 24. which I'd like to read. Um, it says, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained and with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not been thrown into prison. So after that, there was kind of a conflict between John's disciples and, and that occurred. And I'd like to um, continue on and read through uh, verses 27 through 31. It says, John answers and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is, is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So if you read from this scripture, John, John knows what his, his, who he is and what he, he's there to do. And he realizes that Jesus is the one and to come after him. So this is kind of John's statement is saying that you know he's having to pass the, the torch, so to speak, onto Jesus because Jesus is ultimately the reason for, for him to even be there. Um, of course, Jesus continues to teach on baptism. We can see from the Great Commission in Mark 16, 16, where he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And as I believe those kind of mentioned again during our past gospel meeting, we, we had the story of Apollos in Acts 19 and 1 through 5, and this was after the death of Christ, but Apollos was, we, we read from that story, Paul, Apollos was still teaching the baptism of John, and we can read from these verses that, that at that point the baptism of John was no longer sufficient, as we read there. In Acts 19, 1 through 5, it says, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So as we read, as we hear, see here that his baptism was not sufficient, he was again baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. Of course, when we are baptized, we are baptized, how it differs is that we're baptized in the name of Christ. And we can read that from Acts 2.38. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you believe. 
Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Also, it mentions that when, we're, when you're baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit, um, or which those were mentioned in those previous verses as well. And also, when we're baptized, in, in our, we're baptized into his death, as in Romans 6, 3, and verse 4. Or do you not know that as many of, you, of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of light. Also, the ideal is that once you're baptized, you're added to the church. In Acts 2.47, says, Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And in 1 Corinthians 12.13, says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, whether slave or free, have been made to drink into the one spirit. Now, of course, what I'm saying by this, the Lord adds you to the church. No one... No individual person, no preacher, pastor, elder, adds you to the church. The Lord adds you to the church. So that you're not baptized to be added to an individual church. You are baptized and added to the universal church. Um, and also mentioned in 1 Peter 3.21 that baptism saves. And as it says there, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, I mentioned earlier that I'd like to refer back to the story of Naaman. Because Christ did mention Naaman in one scripture, in, in, verse, in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 27. Um, of course, this was... Um, just to set this up, this was after Christ had been baptized, and then he, after that, immediately after that, he was tempted, which I believe will be probably the next lesson. But after that, he, he returns to his hometown, or his, his uh, hometown, or his people of Nazareth, and began teaching them. And of course, they did not accept him. They rejected him, and they threw him out of the city. In verse 7, or 27 of chapter 4, he, meant, he makes the statement, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So to, to make the point that I'd like to make here is that Jesus was, of course, at that time he was, he was rejected by these people of Nazareth. But at the time of Naaman, the people of Israel had rejected God. And through this, even as I said earlier, the king of Israel had no relationship with the um, with the prophet Elisha. So he knew not what to do when he got the letter. So the people of Israel had rejected God. And as, as Christ said here, there were many people within Israel probably at that time that had leprosy, but none of them had a relationship with God. So none of them were actually clear, cleansed of their leprosy. But Naaman was. And what was Naaman? Naaman was, was a Gentile. Um, so I make the point here that Baptism, the baptism of Jesus is open to all, Jew and Gentile. And of course, that, that differs in before because the Jews had thought that they were, you know, the people of God. 
And it just kind of, this one kind of got me thinking about the, the scripture that we all would learn as a kid, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The, I never thought of it in this aspect, but yes, God loves the whole world, not just the Israelites or not just the Jews. He loves all people. And that's why he sent his son. And that's why we have baptism, so that we could be saved and we could have remission of our sins. It's no longer just the Jews that are the chosen people of God. No, this is everybody. The Gentiles are available to have the same relationship with God that the Jews did have and could have had, but, but they rejected him. And we just think how that the, the, the Jews had contempt for the Gentiles, that they kind of thought they were kind of a little bit better than, than the Gentiles because they were God's people. But we truly see that God had opened it up to all and that the gospel is truly for everyone. In closing, I'd like to um, I'd like to end by maybe reading the story that I kind of one of my that I feel is maybe one of the, the better stories of baptism. Of course, we've spent the entire time discussing baptism and how it, especially the baptism of Jesus and how it relates to us. We learned that John prepared the way for Jesus and that he taught baptism of repentance and to and to make the way to let people know that Jesus is coming to teach this. I'd like to end by reading the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts uh, chapter 8. Here I'll, I'll read uh, verses um, 29 uh, through, through, through 39. And here it reads, this, The Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a slant sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he was baptized. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went away on his way rejoicing. I think what, it, what I like about this story, what impresses me about the story, is that the eunuch saw water, and immediately, once he saw the water, he wanted to be baptized. He took that initiative and wanted to, to have it done at that point. And the conditions are similar today. We have a baptistry ready that can be filled with water um, to be baptized. And we, of course, as that, what hinders you from now from being baptized and, and becoming saved and being part of that, the, the new covenant that Jesus has had? Or if you've fallen short in your service to God and you're seeking uh, the prayers of the congregation, we ask that you do so as we come, as come forward and sing. Stay and sing.